Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a documentary filmmaker's journey. I am your host, Josh Lindsay from the Movie Proposal Podcast, sitting in for Jason Rugg. And with us is our documentary filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hey, Josh. So happy to have you back. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me back. It's nice to have you. Long time. Um, but... I'm not here just because Jason bailed. I mean, like totally let you down. I mean, I know he did. We got to talk about that later. Uh, we have a special guest today. Uh, yeah, director of publicity. I'm going to say, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This guy's got a list that I don't have enough time to read right now. It's our special guest, Andrew Cohen. Thanks for being on the show, Andrew. Hey guys, thanks for having me. And I do want to jump in here real quick. Uh, so Andrew and I became familiar with one another because his company, Impact 24 PR, reached out to us to uh, sort of host guests, filmmakers on our podcast as they were doing their Emmy run-ups. And I have just been thrilled by working with them and blown away by the filmmakers they brought to us. And I know that, that you know, understanding how to work with a publicist and PR is a big black hole for filmmakers. And I thought it would be really important for you to come on board. Additionally, you are an animator by trade and you've just told us you've done, doc, you know, animation for documentaries. So I think there's a lot of intersect there of how you uh, can do multi things, you know, in uh, in this industry business. So we're going to turn it over to you. There's some amazing things you did in your bio. I encourage people to go to Impact 24, or I don't know where you have your bio, but they need to go read the whole thing. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. How do you refer to yourself? Start with that. Yeah. Well, first off, thanks so much for having me both, and I'm really excited to to share some tools of the trade and maybe some wisdom. I guess we'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, when I'm at like film festivals and stuff like that or anywhere, I, I, I'm often just introduce myself as Hollywood's weirdest multi-hyphenate, which is publicist slash animation director. Um, definitely my day to day is focused more on, on PR and helping filmmakers tell their stories. Um, I really think of PR as a form of documentary, um, where it's just a different medium. It's press, it's panels, it's social media. It's helping tell your story in a way that, you know, achieves your goals and your project goals. Um, but, you know, in terms of uh, my creative side, I do also do some animation. I've done, um, you know, some music videos and some stuff for documentaries. Um, and yeah, just, it's just fun to do a little bit of everything. And I think I connect with people that are multi-hyphenates that want to just make lots of fun stuff happen. <laughs> yeah. And you've worked for some pretty big clients. Why don't you name drop a little bit and tell us uh, the clients or the projects that you're most film, you know, famous for. I did see everywhere, everything all at once on your website. Uh, yeah. But I know there are many more. Yeah. I mean, we have had a lot of um, great clients over the years. Um, our probably most well-known is Alex Lacamoire. He is the music director of Hamilton. Um I'm really proud to have led an Emmy campaign for him for his work on Fosse Verdon. Um, we also have worked with Eugene Lee. He was the production designer of Saturday Night Live for many, many years and has won a ridiculous amount of Emmys. Um, most recently, I've been leading some really fun Emmy campaigns for um, the editing teams of A Black Lady Sketch Show, as well as Welcome to Wrexham. Uh, they were both nominated uh. this year. And the Black Lives Matter show is nominated um, and won uh, the previous two years, and so you know it's it's always hard to choose 
your favorites. Uh, I've worked with TikTok. I led TikTok's first ever Emmy campaign. Oh yeah, um, I read about that. That was pretty cool. And um, yeah, in the documentary space, one of my favorite longtime collaborators is this guy, Nicholas Bruckman, who I think you guys are also chatting with or have already chatted with. Um, he's uh, has a has a disability rights documentary called Not Qu- Not Going Quietly. And uh, yeah, you know, there's so many incredible people. It's it's really hard to choose, but it's so fun to get to be paid to help people um, in their filmmaking journeys. Yeah, it's awesome. I have a question. So you can be uh, win an Emmy for a PR campaign. Is that what I'm understanding? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say that we're the only person responsible for that, but but certainly. Uh, the two biggest reasons that people will choose to hire a publicist um, in our experience is number one business development and job creation. So the idea being that like, you know, if you promote yourself as a filmmaker or your production company, you know, the bigger visibility you have, the more success you have, the easier it is to attract more investment sales, collaboration, clients um, for you, for you, your work. And, um, you know, that's definitely the most common reason, but awards is also a very common reason The the approach is slightly different because for most Emmy campaigns, you're messaging to a peer audience and so, um, for example, like the editors of Welcome to Rexham, which is a docu-series, the only eyeballs that they care about is other editors who are voting members in the editing branch. And so our strategy is to help build visibility towards their peers. Um, and we do that through social media, through press, through panels, through networking events. Um, it's a whole lot of different stuff. But yeah, I, I wouldn't say that like we're the only reason that people win Emmys, but it's definitely a part of the puzzle. And with so much content and so many creators out there, it's always important to find ways to like stand out and differentiate yourself in these competitive conversations. Hmm. Well, tell me a little bit about your path. Um, these are the things we want to talk about in this episode. Uh, we will also want to going to have you back next week to talk about a few other things. We have some follow-ups, I think, uh, but tell us about your path to this PR job and, sure. you know, give us a little bit of that background, lead that into what your current work is uh, and how you have been working with these clients. And then we also want to know about what filmmakers can learn who are listening to this podcast about working with a PR agent. I mean, I would have given anything for you guys to take me on as a client and help with visibility, et cetera. But I don't know, you know, how to do that or how much that would cost. So there's just basic things I think our filmmakers would benefit from learning. So start with your background. Yeah. So I'm, um, for my origin story, I like to take it back um, to before I was born. Um, so I'm from Los, <laughs> I'm from Los Angeles. Um, which is a rare thing for people here. Usually it's a lot of transplants. And then not only am I from Los Angeles, but my parents are both from Los Angeles as well. And part of the reason is that on my, on my mom's side, my grandfather moved to LA to pursue composing for television. He wanted to work in, hmm. in TV and he moved here in the fifties and he became a staff composer for CBS, um, working on a lot of Westerns and, you know, Twilight Zones and Hawaii Five O's, like the OG, you know, big shows in television. Wow. And he also worked as a music supervisor. And so I bring that up because, you know, when I, I never, he wasn't like someone who was like super well connected or working in the industry by the time I was born, but that's like my one connection. And, um, you know, in high school, the story goes that I was trying to take AP Spanish and I thought I was a hot, hot shot. And, I could take a college of a course at 16. Turns out I wasn't really ready for that. I had to drop the course and my parents were paying for um, private Jewish school. And it was 
they're not gonna let me take a bunch of free periods when they're paying for an expensive education. And so they're like, you gotta take another class. The only other class that was available was a uh, Jews in film class, which was basically a film studies class. And I took that mm. class and also an intro to editing and intro animation class. And especially the film studies one, I went into the class thinking that black and white films had nothing to offer me. And I came out of the mm. class with my favorite film of the class being a black and white film. And it was Charlie Chaplin's The Great Dictator. And to me, what I, I learned- that one. Yeah, One exactly. of my favorites. Yes. Yeah. And um, I just think I always knew I had a love of storytelling and, and I connected with film as a medium um, for telling stories. And so I pursued film. I, I decided to leave LA for school because I knew I'd end up back here for the industry. And so I, I went to Wesleyan University in Connecticut and I came back every summer and tried different internships. And I think- I ended up interning at a composer-focused PR firm, um, which is why I bring up like my grandfather thing. And um, I actually got in the door there because I had some very basic like editing and shooting techniques. And so they brought me on to do like free behind-the-scenes videos for their composers um, using my editing skills. And so eventually, I made a good impression. And you know, I finished school and I tried to work in film development for a bit. And actually, I did a documentary thesis film also. Um, so I was always really drawn to documentary, um, and I was looking for any job and it was right place, right time. They were looking for an assistant and I, I got to join a different company. Um, and I was very fortunate that at my last PR company, they very much recognized and empowered young leadership. And so after about six months, I was able to start pursuing my own clients. I went to Sundance film festival 2016. That was really a, a game changer for me in terms of connections and opportunities and, then after two years at that company, I left and helped to start Impact 24 PR. And at Impact, we decided to expand beyond composers into more broadly behind-the-camera talent. So everyone from editors and makeup and co- composers and costume designs, but also like even writers, directors, and producers. Uh, and I'm very proud to work with a lot of documentary filmmakers alongside a lot of scripted and theater people and really everything. We touch, we touch quite a lot of different industries and, and areas of the arts. I love that. I love how you kind of bring people that are in the shadows to the forefront. And I've enjoyed having those, you know, people on our podcast, you know, typically it's the directors that everybody wants to talk to, but I think uh, understanding all the different roles and what people do and how they got there is super important because it takes everybody to make a film. So I applaud you for doing that. And, you know, I was also reading in your bio, you really have been, you know, doggedly determined to build this business, um, you know, so that you can cover more people and make a bigger impact. So I applaud you for that as well. Thank you. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about your current work. Um, When you say I've been working on these campaigns for Emmys, what does that mean? Yeah, well, I think we we are just coming out of um, pretty heavy Emmy season. And, and, you know, the summer, like May through September has historically always been like some of our busiest time. Um, we have Tribeca Film Festival, we have TIFF, we have Comic-Con, but the biggest thing for us is definitely Emmys, um, primetime Emmy campaigns. And so there is two rounds of voting for primetime Emmys. There, It's a mid to late June and mid to late August with the nominations coming out in between then and mid July. And, you know, in like April through June period, um, a lot of different people will approach us um, or we have existing connections with them and they will ask like, hey, what can I do to win an Emmy? And the answer is a lot, but also um, there's only so much we can control. And so the idea is that we want to create a plethora of opportunities in terms of press, in terms of social media, uh, in order to 
just make them visible. Um, because as I mentioned earlier, there's so many different cool creative people out there that you need to find ways to differentiate yourself amongst this clutter of content. And so we are, you know, starting our process by doing media training. We're getting to know your story, helping you articulate your story. Um, what are your differentiators? What are your talking points? And most importantly, we teach our clients to take control of an interview because journalists don't always ask the right questions. Um, and so it's very important that we equip them with the ability to tell their own story because I can't do it for you. I can make the connections. I can tease it, but you have to do it yourself as a filmmaker. And uh, we do that. And then it's about diversifying the platform. So sometimes it's press, sometimes it's panels, sometimes it's social media. Uh, there's so many different ways to market yourself. And it's about figuring out what are your lanes of comfort? And with the Emmys, it's definitely like a little bit more rigid because we know the best ways to be efficient with reaching the people you want to reach. So like doing a mailer with Ace or MPEG um, featuring some sort of behind the scenes exclusive content is a great way to reach voters or with composers and documentary. I'm working recently with uh, the composing team for Prehistoric Planet on Apple and that's like Hans Zimmer and and Kara Talvi and Andre Rosman. And, yeah, we just um, had them on our yeah, podcast. There you go. Yeah. So so they're super cool. And like for them, it's like working with society composers and lyricists and doing a panel with them and and doing behind the scenes videos. And so it's there's so many different ways you can do it. And so my job, I think oftentimes, because I work with a lot of people who don't think about PR first and foremost, is to educate them on the possibilities and then inspire them on the right directions and the right ways to do it. So, you know, it's kind of frustrating in a sense to hear how much goes on behind the scenes to actually win an Emmy, because I think most people out there think if your work is good enough, it will speak for itself and you will, you know, win an Emmy, but that's not what it is. It's more like you got to pay to win an Emmy. That's what it feels like. Yeah. And I think it is unfortunate that that's kind of part of the game, but, you know, we are an industry that is very much valuing awards and awards drives business and opportunity. But I think that people should be, people shouldn't be discouraged because there's definitely a lot of things you can do yourself. Like you can make your own for your consideration posts. You can do your own outreach to journalists. Like if you don't have a budget to hire a publicist and like, you know, ultimately I think people need to be patient because, there's only so many nomination slots. There's only so many winning slots. And I'm a big believer that awards campaigns are a multi-year effort. It's one of those things where like people don't vote just based on the specific work that you have most recently, but they vote on your body of work, who's due, who they like, who's relatable. So it's important that we constantly are battling and constantly putting ourselves out there in the awards conversation because it may take one year, it may take 10 years to break through. And um, But even without breaking through at all, there's still so much value you bring to the table by building visibility and telling your story in these, you know, times of the year, because it still helps with job creation and, and expanding your brand and everything too. Yeah. And the way that I've made peace with it, tell me if I'm wrong, but it's not so much that you're buying the award. It's more in our culture. It is very difficult for anybody to get eyes on your project. Everybody is busy. They have their own things that they care about. So it's very difficult for them to see your thing. And so if you want to have a chance to be, you know, in the conversation, you people have to see your work. And I think at the end of the day, that's probably your biggest focus is getting people to watch whatever the work is. Exactly. Yeah. You definitely need to find ways to, to have people see your work because that's half the battle. Like, I wish it was as simple as, you know, let's just do 
the stuff and people notice, but it really is important to be an advocate for yourself or surround yourself with marketing teams that can, you know, do that for you. But ultimately it's a journey and, and, you know, you got to do some of it yourself and sometimes you need to do collaboration. I think film and, and television and things like that, these are the ultimate collaborative art forms. So why not take that same collaborative energy and bring it to other things like your promotional approach? Yeah. So you talked about budget. Um, that's a big black hole for a lot of us filmmakers. Can you shed light on how much it would cost to hire you or to do a campaign? I'm sure there's like a, a cornucopia of options. Um, yeah, but what would sure. be a healthy PR budget for a filmmaker? Yeah. I mean, if you really want to like make something happen and do like a meaty month or two, like you should definitely be thinking about budgeting in a few thousand dollar range. Um, you know, I think that if your budget is more in the few hundred dollar range, your expectations should be lower. It should be like that somebody can help with like one press release or one article. But in the few thousand dollar range, you know, you can get a handful of articles, maybe a panel, media training, um, things like that. And, you know, it's certainly like you get what you pay for. But hopefully, like whether it's myself or other PR people out there, like they are going to budget based on not only time and resources needed, but also where you're at. Um, because I try to be, you know, fair in terms of like pricing somebody who's more of an up and comer more affordably than somebody who has three TV shows going at once or one Sundance documentary. Um, so it, it's definitely flexible. And ultimately, it is a mutual investment. Like even though I do need to get a fee for my services and for my team to dedicate their time, I'm willing to put extra work in and go the extra mile because I know that sometimes if we can believe in somebody and they can rise and and have success and momentum and new work, that we can definitely, you know, be successful together and and I can charge you more later, you know? So mm -hmm. let's let's get into it together. And also with every publicist, uh, it's always free to talk for advice. So it, talk, talk to people, ask around for referrals, ask for case studies, do your due diligence, but I'm sure there's a good PR person out there for you. Yeah. So um, our last question is going to be, you know, what mistakes do filmmakers make or what do you really wish filmmakers would know uh, before hiring you? But before we mm -hmm. go to that, Josh, you've been listening to this. Um, you know, what thoughts do you have? What questions do you have? I have the same question and I have a suggestion. I want to know what mistakes filmmakers make when it comes to PR, working with a publicist, not working with a publicist. But my suggestion is that we hold on to that for the next episode. I think we should, this should be a cliffhanger. What are the mistakes that people make? <laughs> and if you want to know, you got to come back to the next episode. I like that. I like that because you know what? Now that gives us time to get in a DocuView Deja Vu segment. And so everybody, here we go. It's time for DocuView Deja Vu. All right, Andrew, we asked you to bring a documentary today. So what you got for us? Well, um, my first documentary recommendation is The Two Escobars. Um, it's ESPN 30 for 30. I wrote about it, her paper in college, um, <laughs> talking about Andres Escobar, the soccer player, and Pablo Escobar, um, and just comparing the, how their life stories had parallels and overlapped briefly. And uh, it just it just really captivated me as a as a viewer, I'm a big fan of sports, human interest vibe, but I just thought they did a, such a good job of, of oscillating between the two stories. And I'm just very interested in, in, in that. And I think now Pablo Escobar is so popular and all these different scripted things, but I really think that 
of the more documentary style, like this is one of the better ones and uh, definitely recommend people check it out. Yeah, the 30 for 30s are just phenomenal. Like from Elway to Marino, I think is one of my all-time favorites. I mean, even if you're not a deep sports fan, I think you still can, uh, you know, enjoy those. Where, where can you view those? Well, the ESPN does have 30 for 30s. Um, I do think while we give the other documentaries, look up where you can see that particular uh, film, Andrew. Josh, did you bring a documentary today to recommend? Disney Plus. You can watch it on Disney Disney Plus. Plus. Okay. I got Disney Plus done. I'm bringing, I think it's a documentary. Some might call it reality TV. But I'm hooked on these Netflix sports series. One of the most recent ones is Quarterback where it follows three NFL quarterbacks. I'm not a a huge NFL fan. I'll watch the game if it's on or with a group of people, but I find it fascinating, but the behind the scenes and the stories and, and just the things you don't know about or the assumptions you make that are wrong about someone's lifestyle or, or what they're responsible for or what, you know, what just happens, you know, the stresses or the work that goes into it. Overall, it's very entertaining. It did leave me wanting more. I, I felt they could have dove much deeper in getting to know the players, but also <clears throat> what's a day in the life look like? Like they never really give you that. They just give you bits and pieces, but you never get to know the the full scope in, in a way that I think they could have done. But at, at the bottom end of the day, it's a it's a great series, very entertaining. Awesome! And you said you can watch that on Netflix. Yep. Alrighty. Well, I'm going to go into uh, sharing mine. Uh, It is also on Netflix. Uh, It's uh, actually just a fascinating documentary that I just watched called Ordinary Men. It's a German uh, documentary. um, And in German, I can't say the title in German, but it translates to Quite Normal Men, The Forgotten Holocaust. Uh, The logline is the Nuremberg trial of 1947-48 is considered the largest murder trial in history against members of four death squads from the security to police and the um, security service of the SS. And they look at all of these normal men who were sort of in the Wehrmacht um, and they were police you know, figures that were just supposed to do police work. But what they ended up doing on their first day of the job is their job was to kill Jews and not in the training camps, but, you know, everywhere outside, just in, you know, forests and trees and looks at how these men went from regular ordinary men, dentists, tax collectors, et cetera, um, into these killing machines that could kill without remorse. And it is a fascinating study on the human uh, condition. And you kind of see them, you know, pitifully in what they became. Um, And you also, of course, get very angry at kind of what they became, obviously. Uh, But it's looking at this, um, you know, World War II story from a very different lens. Being a World War II storyteller myself, I was interested to see this just came out this year in 2023 because most streamers are telling me they're not interested in World War II documentaries anymore. Uh, But I guess if, you know, I don't know, Netflix changed its mind. Uh, So it is a a great uh, documentary watch. I highly recommend it. All right. Well, that's it for today. Uh, Josh, you want to take us out? Yeah, I do. Andrew, thanks for uh, being on today. Uh, I hope everyone listening found this helpful and we think it's fantastic. In fact, like I said, we're going to have Andrew on our next episode. going to answer that question. What are the biggest mistakes filmmakers make when it comes to hiring a PR agent or doing their own publicity? 
So uh, thank you for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it. Yes, you can. Bye, everybody. Bye. The Documentary First podcast is a production of Documentary First Productions. Help us create more educational and inspiring filmmaking content and share more stories of service by supporting us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash documentary first. Also, be sure to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts so more people can discover our awesome entertainment industry content as well as our moving historical stories and possibly learn some new things along the way. Bye, everybody.